Now, this week we're continuing this Learning to Love Well series. And we've talked about a lot of things over the last five weeks. And now in week six, we're going to talk about what it really means to care for somebody else, to care for one another, to care for each other in this building so that when we care for each other in a genuine way in this building, it speaks to the people outside of this building that they would say something special is happening in this place. And I want to find out what it is. Now, the word care is definitely a word we're familiar with, right? I don't think there's anybody that would be surprised by the word care or be capable of providing some kind of definition about what caring actually means. But what does it mean to truly care, to put it into action, to do something for someone else in a way that exhibits true caring for them? Well, that might be a little bit more challenging. Now, the word we're familiar with, but it's actually kind of confusing the way that we use it, isn't it? I mean, we use it pretty carelessly, actually. We say it in one of three ways, typically. We either say, I, I do care, or I don't care, or I couldn't care less, right? Like, that's most often how you hear the word care come up. And what's funny is that each of those typically communicates exactly the opposite of what you said. Let me explain what I mean. So the first one, I don't care. Have you ever tried to decide with a group of people, or maybe even worse, with your spouse, about where you are going to go on a particular evening. Like, all right, let's decide. Where are we going to go out to eat? And everyone around the room gets into this competitive use of the words, I don't care. Oh, I don't care. Where would you like to go? I don't care. Where would you like to go? Well, I don't care. I really don't care. Where would you like to go? Nobody cares until someone makes a decision. (laughs) Right? Oh, I didn't want to go there. That's... That's not what I wanted. So we say we don't care, when in reality, we actually really do care. What about this? When we use the phrase, I do care, this is most often said when you've done something that puts your level of care in doubt, right? Like you miss a birthday, you miss an anniversary, and the offended party is like, you obviously don't care about me because you forgot this important day. To which you say, no, I do care. And if you're smart, you'll say, I I do care. I, I really do care. I just forgot. I'm sorry. And you'll leave it there. If you are not smart, what you will say is, what's today? Which is sadly more often how I respond. Unfortunately, it gives you an idea what life is like for my wife. But the third one that we use is, I couldn't care less. And this is simply reserved for the times that we have to convince somebody else that it is physically impossible for us to care any less for whatever the thing is that you think we care about. For instance, one of you could walk up to me today and say, Matt, sorry about Penn State, man. That was pretty rough. And I would respond to you, oh, I couldn't care less. I knew they were going to lose that game. Translated, I cried myself to sleep last night. Like, that's, that's what happened. I woke up in a pile of nachos. That's, that's the depth of my depravity over the fact that Penn State lost. So we use the word all the time, but it doesn't actually mean what we, what we actually say. So we're left with this word that it's used as I don't care when I do care, and it's used as I do care when I don't care, and it's used as I couldn't care less when it's actually the thing we care most about. So really, it's not going to help us to further define the word, is it? What I really want to challenge you to today 
is to help you recognize the value and the importance of what true care actually means to the body of Christ, to the church. That if we really get a hold of caring for one another, if we make the decision to say, I'm gonna do what's uncomfortable, I'm gonna do what's inconvenient because I wanna show somebody else that I genuinely care for them, it has huge power. You know, there's value in telling someone that you genuinely care for them. Yes, there is value in that. But without some kind of action to support it, those words can kind, of call, can kind of fall flat. And this is a real struggle for all of us, that we definitely care for people. We say that we care for people. We're just not always so good at showing that we care. You know, you can write a long and eloquent speech on Facebook about how much you care about a person, but then actually when it comes to showing them you care, that's a little bit more challenging, isn't it? So today, we're actually going to learn from a church from many years ago in a town called Galatia. Now, this was a group of people that sadly had lost their way. And I think God might have something to say to each of us this morning through the example that we see in the Galatian church. So last night, uh, I was sitting uh, in the office uh, up here at the church, and I was just reviewing my notes and working a little bit on the message And as I was sitting there, I looked on my wall and I have this collection of random quotes and like some are from books, some are funny things that happened on retreats, like all kinds of different stuff. But there's probably like maybe a dozen of them up there. And as I was working on the message, I just felt like, you know what, I just need to take a moment to just relax, just lean back in my chair. I kind of put my hands up behind my head and I just sat there and I was looking around the room and my attention centered on this wall with all of these different things. And I was reading some of them and some of them were making me laugh and some of them were making me think, oh, that was a really fun moment or that was a really challenging moment. And I came across one that was a quote from Andy Stanley that when I read it, I thought, I need to read this to daybreak tomorrow morning before we get into the message. Because I think it might be important for us to hear before we jump into this today. Andy Stanley says this, it is next to impossible to hear the voice of wisdom if we are not really listening for it to begin with. And this is what I want to challenge you to start off with today. I do believe that the Bible has wisdom for us today. I believe that God has something that he wants to teach you through his word today. But in order for that to get through, you have to be listening. I have to be listening. So what I'd like to do to kind of get us started this morning is I want to read the scripture passage we're going to be focused on today. And then after I read that that scripture passage, I'm just going to pray. And let's just get our hearts centered on God and say, God, speak. Your servant is listening. We're ready to hear what it is that you have for us today. All right, so Galatians 5, 13 to 14. Uh, This is also in your program guide today if you'd like to follow along as I read it. Galatians 5, 13 to 14 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. God, we love you. And we thank you for the gift of Daybreak Church. We thank you, God, that we have the freedom to gather here today and hear a message that is going to help us learn how to care for one another. Help us to learn what it truly means to care for each other. Help us to listen for the voice of wisdom today. And God, I just ask that you would let it change the way that we live. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. 
Now, Paul was an early missionary of the church, and you may have read some of his letters before. A lot of the New Testament are letters that Paul wrote to churches that he established all over the place. And this was at a time in history where the church was growing rapidly. It was definitely growing and expanding, and it was moving, moving quickly. Uh, and he had established many churches in many different places. And when he would establish a church, he would raise up leaders for that church. He would put those leaders in place. And then he would move on to another city, another place, another town where he could establish another church. And that is what he had done here in Galatia. And so he had moved on to continue his work. And it was a few years later that he got a report back on what was going on in the church at Galatia. And the, the bummer here is that he was disappointed when the report reached him that the church in Galatia didn't look much at all like the church God had called them to be. So when you look at this book of Galatians, early on in the letter, there's this tone of disappointment that Paul has at the people of Galatia. And he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting uh, the one who called you. And not long after that, he steps it up a notch and he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? So what is it that has Paul so upset that he would speak in such harsh terms to a church that he established? Well, you know, Paul had some high expectations for what this group of young converts was going to, going to accomplish in Galatia, how that church was going to grow. And what he had heard is they had, that they had adopted a different version of the gospel from what had been preached when he came. When Paul came, he preached Jesus and he preached Christ crucified. He preached that because of that sacrifice, there was grace, there was forgiveness, there was new life, and it was offered as a free gift. And that was the gift that the church in Galatia had received. That was what they had received. But they had morphed this into a gospel that was no longer about a gift that was given, and it was now a gift that was given that also came with a long set of rules that you had to follow. And Paul was not happy with that. You see, shortly after Paul moved on, there were some uh, Christians in the church. Now, most of that church was comprised of um, Gentiles. So Gentiles is just another way to say, if they're not Jewish, they're Gentiles, okay? So non-Jews, there's a lot of Gentiles in that church, which means they didn't have a background in Jewish theology. They didn't have any understanding of Old Testament law or any of that stuff. All they knew was that Paul had showed up one day, told them about what Jesus had done, and that that offered them new life. And so they responded and said, yes, that sounds like what I want. I want this gift of new life. I want my life to be different than it is today. So that's what they had responded to. But after Paul had moved on, there were some Jewish Christians that were in that church that they knew all the Old Testament law. And they started looking at what was happening in that Galatian church, and they were like, well, this just doesn't seem right. You know, we've followed a lot of these rules all our lives, and now these Gentiles, they're getting to enjoy the same benefit that we are of having a relationship with God, but they haven't followed all the rules. So we got to do something about this. And they set out to convince the people of the church that they also needed to follow the rules, and only if they followed the rules would they then earn the approval of God. The expectation of these Jewish leaders was that the Gentiles needed to follow these traditions of Jewish culture in order to be truly accepted into the family of God. So these new Christ followers had invited Jesus to lead their lives, and they'd done so under this teaching of, of Paul that they were justified through faith in Christ, not because of their works, and yet they allowed themselves to be convinced that there actually were a lot of hoops that they had to jump through in order to really be accepted by God. 
Now, Paul was not happy with this because these religious leaders were essentially saying, we care about you, Gentiles, but only if you follow the rules. If you don't follow the rules, no, sorry. God doesn't accept you and neither do we. But we care about you as long as you follow the rules. But that's not true caring at all, is it? Because any of us can say that we care about someone else. But when our actions don't back that up, then it doesn't come across as authentic, does it? Or genuine. Remember what we read in verse 13 of Galatians 5. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. You see, caring is less about what you say, and it's much more about what you do. It's less about what you say, and it is much more about what you do. This church in Galatia had allowed themselves to become slaves to the rules. That's what they were enslaved to, was the rules. They didn't care about each other. They cared about the letter of the law. They had abandoned this freedom that faith in Christ had given to them and instead became slaves to the rules. And so I'm sure nobody in that church felt cared for. They just felt like, I better stay in line or else God's not going to love me. So Paul says here, you are slaves. This is what I I love about the way that Paul kind of turns this argument around, is that he says, well, actually, you are slaves. But you're not supposed to be slaves to sin or slaves to the rules or slaves to any of these things. What you are slaves to is you are slaves to one another. You're slaves to each other. In this church, in the family of God, we are slaves to each other. Now, there's other translations of the Bible that translate this slightly differently, and they use phrases like, you know, be servants to one another or serve one another in love. And I don't have any problem with any of the translations that that address this verse in that way. But the reason that we chose to use this translation that used this word slave is that I think this is the one that gives you the strongest image of what it really means to say, I am committed to you 100% that I am going to care for you. I am going to serve you. We chose this because it most accurately described the level of commitment that Paul was talking about. Paul is saying to the church that you're to live in freedom from the idea that the rules set you free. The rules don't set you free. Your new life is a free gift. He's saying instead to bind yourself to each other in service. I mean, that's really the critical critical thing to understand here is that the Greek word that is used here, probably the strongest understanding of that is this phrase, to bind yourself to another, to bind yourself to another. So it's entering into an agreement with Jesus to say, I am so committed to your church and caring for the people that I am here with. I am so committed to that, that I am binding myself. I'm putting myself in a binding agreement that I will care for the other people in the, in the family of God. I will do that. And that's what it looks like to truly care about someone else. It's more than just lip service. It's not just saying it, but it's actually doing something about it. Now, many of you know that my wife uh, works and she is a nurse. And she, for many years, was a nurse in the emergency room at Harrisburg Hospital, was there for 15 years, but recently has now uh, moved into a a job as a, uh, let me make sure I get the term right. So she answers phone calls and she basically triages people over the phone. So I think that means she's a nurse in a call center that's like a triage nurse. That sounds close enough, (laughs) okay? 
And I mean, I don't want to brag or anything, but I just, I want to make sure you understand that she is literally the best nurse that has ever walked the face of the planet. So I just want to make sure everybody is clear on that. She would never tell you that herself, but I have observed her and uh, she's, she's the tops. So she, she goes off to work often in the evening. So I'll work during the day and then in the evening I'll come home, we'll grab a quick bite of dinner together and then she's out the door to head off to work. And when she goes, without fail, every night, there is at least one thing, sometimes multiple things that she'll say to me, oh Matt, can you please make sure this thing happens? often related to dinner, right? Can you get the dishes cleaned? Or can you make sure that the meatloaf gets off the counter and into Tupperware and make sure it's sealed and place it in the refrigerator for me? Like, thanks, I didn't know I needed that specific of instruction, but yes, I can accomplish the meatloaf getting in the fridge. So every night there's instructions like that. And every night I respond to her, absolutely, I will do that for you. I say that. I don't always do that, right? Like I have every intention when, when I say to her, yes, the meatloaf will get in the fridge, I have every intention that that meatloaf will get in the fridge. But sometimes she doesn't come home to the meatloaf in the fridge, she comes home to me asleep on the couch with the meatloaf on a plate on my lap. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that, that is sometimes what happens. And somewhere between the saying and the doing, I kind of fall short, right? And this is what I'm telling you, when it comes to caring, we all have a pretty good idea of what it means to genuinely care for somebody else. We can think of ways that we can do things to care for the other people that we love, that are a part of the family of God with us. We understand what to do, we just don't always do it, right? Like sometimes there's a breakdown between we say we care, but then we don't actually follow through on showing that we care. And that's why it's so important for us to understand this morning that caring is less about what you say and it's more about what you do. See, Galatians 5.14, as we read before, says, the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. The whole law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So when Paul says the whole law, he's referring to the Old Testament law. He's referring to all of these rules and regulations that these Jewish leaders have now passed on to the church in Galatia. All of these written requirements that they had to do this and this and this and this and this and this. That's what he's referring to when he says the whole law. Now what he says is exactly what Jesus said is that the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the Galatians had been convinced by the religious leaders in that church that they had to follow through on the rules of the Old Testament law, even to the point of requiring them to be circumcised if they had not been circumcised. That makes for an interesting membership class, i got to tell you. It's, uh, well, uh, Bob and Jennifer, welcome to the church. I want you to know people are valued here. People are circumcised here. So you're going to have to be okay with that. And Bob's like, uh, what's that now? Like, I don't, I don't think I'm on board for this. And so I'm sure it was a huge relief for this church to hear from Paul that they were no longer slaves to the old law and to the way of doing things. Well, at least for the ones that heard it in time, right? Like there's probably a poor guy that was like, come on, Paul, you couldn't have sent that a week earlier? I mean... My wife already set the appointment, so um, 
But Paul was reassuring the church, and that was a good thing. It would be an encouragement to them to hear that they are no longer bound to the old law. But the other thing that he was doing is he was calling out these religious leaders. And now these are religious leaders that had accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This was not people outside of the church trying to divide the church. These were people that had said, yes, we believe in who Jesus is. We want to follow after him. But then they were still trying to hold on to all the old ways of doing things. So Paul was reassuring the church, but he was also calling out those that had been leading them down this path of works theology. He reminded them that Jesus himself had said that the old law is summed up in the way that we treat others. So, and the old law as referred to the way that we treat each other. It also talks about love God and then also love your neighbor as yourself. But when it comes to the way that we treat other people, it's summed up just in that one sentence, that one phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. Do that in the way that you interact with other people and you have fulfilled the law. So there is good news for you today. If you are a Christ follower, you've been given freedom You've been given freedom from sin, freedom from rule following, freedom from trying to earn the favor of God. The favor of God is a gift. It is given to you by the sacrifice that Jesus made. And it's love that motivates us to truly care for each other. When we experience the love of Christ in a real way, that's what motivates us to truly care for each other. Now, why is it so important? Why is this idea that we care for one another so important? Here's why. Because a church that's committed to the wrong things, a church that's committed only to following the rules and making sure everybody looks exactly the same, a church committed to those things, to the wrong things, will lead to a church that doesn't look much like the church that Jesus intended. And so if we continue down the path of saying it's more important that we follow the rules than it is that we care for the people that show up here on a Sunday, then it's going to lead us to a church that doesn't really look like the church. Now, a few years back, we took the high school students on a wilderness trip. And it was, from my perspective, was a fantastic trip. I thought it was a fantastic trip for the students too, but I've heard in like years since, some of them being like, that week was rough, man. <laughs> like, but I'm telling you, I thought it was an incredible week. And it was really neat because we did a lot of the same kind of camp stuff that we do uh, on other summer trips. But the thing that we also did that was unique to that trip is we survived something really challenging together. It was not easy. It was a challenging trip. We were basically backpacking for a week uh, on the, uh, in the Blue Ridge Mountains down in North Carolina. And it was challenging. Uh, but it was awesome. And so I remember when we were driving down for that week for the wilderness trek, uh, we were driving down there and I had put the address into my phone ahead of time. That was going to be my GPS to get us there, right? So I plugged it in. We start driving. We're good to go. We make it to lunch. We stop for lunch. And uh, when we go in, I turn off the GPS because, you know, I don't want to waste the battery. We eat lunch and get back in. And then I hand the phone to one of the students that was seated in the passenger, se passenger seat next to me. And I said, okay, just look up Chattooga Campground uh, for me and then we'll follow it there. And he's like, okay, I can do that, Chattooga Campground. So he puts in Chattooga Campground. He's like, oh, uh, yeah, it's Camp Chattooga. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess that, yeah, that must be it. It's, it's Chattooga Campground. I'm sure Camp Chattooga, that's the same thing. So he puts it in. It's about three hours away, which is exactly what it should have been away. And we started driving and we're, you know, doing our normal random weird things that high schoolers and youth pastors do on long road trips, random spelling games and uh, calling people names and all kinds of good stuff. 
We're driving along, and we finally arrive, and by the time we arrive at Camp Chatuga, I don't know like, how you feel when you do a long road trip, but I feel like the last hour, you will not ask me to stop to go to the bathroom in that last, like, we are less than an hour away. You just have to hold it. Come on. We're going to make it there. So we get to Camp Chatuga, and when we get there, everybody's so excited to be there because it's just been a really long trip. But also, half of the group has to go really, really bad, right? So we pull into this amazing campground, and we're like, man, the way they describe this place is really different. Like, we thought this was just going to be like, you know, a patch of earth and a place to put our tents, but there's like volleyball courts and basketball courts and a lot. This place is amazing. This is going to be the best wilderness trek ever. And we all jump out of the vehicles and they're literally sprinting towards the bathrooms, right? Half a dozen of them run into the bathrooms. They're taking care of their thing. The half a dozen run over to the basketball courts and they're checking things out. I'm like, well, I better go check in at the camp office. And as I'm walking towards the camp office, I see this rather frightened uh, elderly woman walking towards me that must have been on the camp staff. And she was very concerned about the sudden arrival of 20 high schoolers at Camp Chatuga. And I remember as we were pulling in thinking, it's weird that they spell Chattooga differently <laughs> than the way that I remember seeing it. And I quickly ran up to her and with my best smile said, hey, I'm here. My name is Matt. We've got our group of high schoolers here. We're ready for the wilderness trek. And she was like, I have no idea who you are and you need to get off our property as soon as possible. And I'm like, so we talked for a little while and I was trying to explain our situation. It turns out that there were two places within about 40 miles of each other. One was called Chattooga River Resort and was spelled C-H-A-T-T-O-O-G-A. And then there was another one that was called Camp Chattooga, C-H-A-T-U-G-A. Well, we went to UGA when we should have been to OOGA. And we, we found out, and we, once we figured it out, I quickly gathered all of the students back into the vehicles, which they were super excited and completely willing to just go along with that plan. Uh, that's not true. <laughs> they jumped in the vehicles, and we drove off, and thankfully we avoided running out of gas, and we made it to the place that we were supposed to get to, and then we had an amazing week. So here's the point of me sharing this whole story with you, is that we can put the destination in, and we can arrive at that destination, but if the destination we've put in isn't actually the destination we're supposed to go to, we're not reaching the destination that God has called us to. And it's the same way with the church in Galatia. They were following all the rules. They were following directions to get to the destination. The only problem was the destination was not Jesus. The destination was adherence to the rules. It was a strict adherence to following the rules. They weren't concerned about caring for other people. They would say they care, but they weren't willing to do anything about it. And so their destination was the rules. And you know where they arrived? A church that was guided by the rules, but not a church that exuded with the love of Jesus Christ. And that's why we have to be careful, is that if we ever start going down the path of, we need to make sure that the rules are super important and everybody adheres to the rules. And every person that walks through these doors has to look the same and talk the same and act the same. When we make that the destination, well, congratulations, we all look the same, but we don't look like Jesus. 
So we have to make the goal. We want to look like Jesus. We want to act like Jesus. We want to talk like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Jesus cared for people in a genuine way. He met their needs regardless of their background. He loved them no matter what sin there was in their past. He welcomed them and he loved them. For Jesus, it wasn't caring and saying that I care, but without the action to care, it was, I care for you and I'm going to show you that I care. You know, Jesus told us that our love for one another is going to be the thing that proves to the world that we are his disciples. That's how we're going to prove it. That's a verse that we referenced the first week of this series, that in order to have, uh, in order to introduce new people into faith in Christ, one of the key ways that they are going to be introduced to Jesus is by the way that we love each other in this building. Because when we start to love each other in this building the way that God has called us to, then it will make an impact on the people outside of this building too. So the question then becomes, do our lives prove our love? Do our lives prove our love? Do our lives prove that we care or do they prove something else? Listen to how Paul describes later. And this is out of the message paraphrase. I just really loved uh, the way that it was stated in there. This is the proof of a life that is committed to getting their own way. And this is on the back of your message outline today if you want to be able to, if you want to follow along. I'm not going to read through this whole first section here, but these are some of the things that it mentions as proof of a life that's committed to getting your own way. Things like stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Maybe some of you guys have been there. Paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, or the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, ugly parodies of community. And Paul says, I could go on and on describing what church looks like when we have the wrong destination. In other words, he's warning, this is not the direction that you want to go. Now, do any of us listen to this list or read through the things on that list and go, yeah, that's what I want to be about. Yes, let's make that our destination. No, of course, that's not where we want to go. We'd rather give proof of a life that is lived God's way. And listen to this in Galatians, in the last part of Galatians 5, 19 to 23, Paul says, what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives. Much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things. A sense of compassion in the heart and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life. Able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. See, all the weeks of this series have this common thread that when we fall in love with Jesus, life looks different. We will not stay the same. It changes things. And the fruits that we see listed in this passage, that's the outward evidence of the change. Something happens in our heart and it changes the way we interact with other people. So here's what I'd like you to consider as we wrap up today. So when you consider the idea that we've been called as Christians to care for one another, look at that list. Look at that passage that we just read and ask yourself, which of these fruits does God need to work on in me in order for me to truly care for somebody else? Let me give you some examples here. So when you look back at there, one of the, one of the things that Paul mentions is an increase in your affection for others. Does God need to increase your affection for others? And I, I'm not making a joke here. For some of you in this room, when you hear the idea of caring for somebody else, your biggest hang-up in caring for somebody else is that you really just don't like people very much. 
And, and that's like legitimately where you are this morning, that you need to ask God, God, help me to like people. <laughs> help me to find a way to care for people in a way that seems genuine because it's hard for me. I just don't get along with people. Ask God to open your heart, to increase the kind of care, the kind of affection that you have for others. Be honest with him about that. Maybe even be honest with, with a friend about that as well. And ask God to increase your affection for others. Or another one, does he need to increase your exuberance for life? Some of you come in dragging this morning. And that's like the biggest hurdle for you to caring for anybody else is that you just feel like, man, the trajectory of my life is not at all what I expected it to be. I can't care for anybody else because I'm still just disappointed with where my life is at. Maybe that's something that you need to invite God to remind you of the simple things in your life that you do have to be thankful for. Maybe you need to ask him to restore joy in your heart or maybe give you joy for the very first time to help you understand what true contentment really looks like when we depend on him for it instead of our circumstances. Or maybe you need to increase your willingness to stick with it. You just have to increase that. And so you, you say to God, God, I just need you to give me courage. I've tried this before. I've tried for caring for other people before, but it was too hard and I messed up and I wasn't good at it. And so I just gave up. And so this morning you're saying, God, I just need willingness to stick to it, even when it's hard. God, give me courage. Give me conviction to follow through on this instruction to care for others in a genuine way. Or maybe when you look at that passage, there's another set of words in there that really just rings true for you, that you know, God, I need you to do a work in my heart in that place. I need you to show the fruit of the Spirit in my life in that area. All right, so what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to go ahead and take out your response cards. And you'll notice that on your response cards, there's a, a heart sticky on there today, as there have been for the last five weeks. And I want to encourage you to take a look at that heart sticky. And here's what I want you to consider this morning. Is once you've nailed down that idea or that, that fruit of the Spirit, that area that you know, God, I just need you to work on that in my life. I want you to write down those words. So it could be some of the ones we talked about. Increase my affection. Increase my exuberance for life. Increase my willingness to stick with it. But write down whatever it is that you know in order for you to genuinely care for the people around you, you need God to do a work in you in that area. Write it down. And then stick it somewhere you're going to see it. For like some of you in this room, that means you'll go stick it with all five of the other stickies that you have from this series. And I'm so proud of you if you've done that. I, I don't. So that's just confession to you. I don't have all five of my stickies. But find a place that you can put your sticky where you're going to see it. And daily ask God to move in your heart. Because if you can allow God to do that work in your heart... It is not going to be you trying to follow the rules that's going to make the difference. It's going to be the natural outflow of his work inside of you is going to cause you to care in a genuine way for the people around you. So ask God to move in your heart in this way. And then once the heart sticky is completed, uh, you can fill out your response card too and just tell us what God's doing in your heart. So the sticky is for you, but the response card is for us. And thank you for taking the time to fill that out because we want to know how we can best care for you and serve you uh, here at Daybreak. So thanks for letting us know how we can do that. Now, I want to say a word of prayer with you as the worship team returns to lead us. God, we love you. And we thank you for being the, the true source of love. And in a series like this, where we're focused on learning to love well, that we know that none of this happens in the way that it's been intended if we don't allow your love to inspire it. So God, help us to care for each other in a way that's true to who we are, uh, that's a reflection of your love for us. And help us to remember this big idea that caring is less about what we say and it's more about what we do. 
We want the fruit of the Spirit, the things we reviewed today. We want those things to be shown in our lives. So increase our, our affection for others. Instill in us a zeal for life. God, inspire us to just never quit and always, always continue to strive to love others well uh, as we fall more and more in love with you. And God, I pray for those moments where we would just sit amazed when we discover that the very person you led us to care for is the one that needed it in the most desperate way. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.